Hear the scripture reading as contained from the gospel account of St. John, the 17th chapter, beginning in the first verse and reading through verse 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world." And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have, that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We talked two Sundays ago uh, as we began kind of the emphasis on the capital campaign about our presence with each other, that we are all called different parts, different members of the same body, but one body nonetheless. And last week we talked about our ministries, our missions, and our great, com and our great commission that we are given through Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about prayer. Now, if you remember your membership vows, you might remember that there is a five-fold vow which we take. And that five-fold vow is to support 
the, 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 the body of Christ, the church, the work of the church, with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. So the first Sunday we talked about our presence. The second Sunday we talked about our service. And today we're talking about our prayers. And prayer has been one of these things that has always just absolutely overwhelmed me and fascinated me. When I was in seminary studying New Testament, I went up to my professor who was Luke Timothy Johnson, and I said, I know what I want to do my final paper on, and I want to write my paper on why we pray. And he smiled, and he said, you go right ahead. <laughs> and that should have been a clue, <laughs> because I'm telling you, that was not what I ended up writing my final paper on, but I've stuck with it. And when I'm, when I'm telling you this, I promise, I don't mean this as a bragging litany, okay? I've just really, prayer is just this thing that absolutely just absorbs me. I get lost in prayer. I love the different types of prayer. I love the different ways we can pray. Uh, like uh, Pastor Stanley mentioned this morning, like we announced last week, before Sunday school to, uh, today and next Sunday is a prayer labyrinth down in the fellowship hall following worship Today and next Sunday, the prayer labyrinth is open. If you have never experienced that, I invite you to do it. It's, a, it's, it's just a different way of, of praying than what we normally uh, think of, and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, but but I, as I'm, I'm trying to wrestle out why it is that we pray and what it is that happens when we pray, because if you stop and you think about it, there's some things that we typically talk about that at first seems like they go against each other. One of the things that I talk about when I, when, I, when I mention this is, have you ever noticed some folks want to treat prayer like a Facebook post? Now, what I mean by that is we want to get so many people praying so that God will hear us and do something, as if God operates on the same way that Facebook posts do with the number of likes that we get. You know, well, I was going to move in your life if you had 500 people praying for you, but you only reached 498. I'm sorry, the answer is no. That's not the way that works. Yet, there is something about having people pray for us, right? There is something about knowing that your church family, that your family at home, that your friends, that your coworkers, that people are praying for you. Have you ever felt prayer? Like you know that prayer is doing something because you feel it? But yet scripture also teaches us that God already knows what is best for us. So I've read folks, I've read folks like Anselm of Canterbury. If you really wanna read something that'll help you go to sleep at night. Check out Anselm of Canterbury. He wrote two major works called Proslogion and Monologion, and both of them are on the, well, both of them are on the ontological argument. That's just a real big fancy way of saying he writes about how we know that God truly exists. And in Proslogion, he talks about prayer. I, I've read uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who says that prayer does not change God, but prayer changes the one who prays. I've read Diedrich Bonhoeffer who says that prayer does move in the heart of God and that there is evidence of this in Scripture. 
And there is. There's times where God says, I'm going to do something, and then somebody prays, and then God relents and changes God's mind. I've read Karl Barth, who said that, uh, well, basically, God's going to do whatever God's going to do. We can pray about it. And, uh, but God's still going to do whatever God's going to do. The best thing that we can become is like someone who is standing watch on a watchtower. They are not in charge of what is going to happen. They have no control over what's going to happen. They simply call out what they see happening. Because as followers of Christ, we can pray for whatever we want to pray for. But the most mature prayer is, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So there's all these different aspects about prayer. You can see why I decided in the New Testament, my final paper in New Testament, I decided I would write about John (laughs) instead of about why we pray. Because I'm going to stand before you in Bluff Park, Alabama and tell you, I know why we pray. But the answer is simply because Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus instructed us to pray. And Jesus himself prayed. Jesus prayed many times. That's recorded. Recording of him going off by himself to pray. At times inviting some folks to come and pray with him like Peter, James, and John. And Jesus prays. And following prayer, we see Jesus get up and go do something. There are the prayers of Jesus where there's sometimes Jesus is praying and he's just thanking the Father for something that the Father has done or is doing. There are times that Jesus prays and he's angry, like when he's gone to raise Lazarus from the tomb. And he begins this prayer by saying, Father, I thank you for, th- for, for hearing me. Now, I know that you hear me, but I'm just saying this so that all these other people who still don't understand who I am will come to believe who I am. We know that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But in John's gospel, what we have is the 17th chapter is according to John, what? Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I can't give you all of the high theology on prayer, but I can give you a very high, highly theological reference that you might want to go and check out. It's really not that old. It's, 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 it's definitely not as old as Anselm of Canterbury. It's not even as old as Diedrich Bonhoeffer or Karl Barth. Um, there was a television show that was on when I was a child, about Robin's age, and it was called The Golden Girls. Now, some of y'all have never heard of that show. You're too young for it. Others of you know about it. Uh, it I, don't know, I, I don't know if I should have been watching it or not, but I loved that show. And I love the fact that you can find it on Hulu. And we are not being paid to, 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 to tell you that, but you can find it on Hulu. Go check it out. One of my favorite characters on the Golden Girls was Sophia Petrillo. Now, if y'all watch the Golden Girls, do you remember Sophia? For those of you that don't know, this was four ladies who, who, who all lived together. Uh, they, 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 they rented rooms from Blanche Devereaux, and Sophia Petrillo was one of the characters whose name's Dorothy's mother. 
and she was old. Now, the, the ironic thing is, is the actress that played her was actually one of the youngest ones. I told you I'm a big Golden Girls fan. Um, but she played Dorothy's mother, and she kind of became the mother for all of the ladies. And she would tell these stories. She was a first generation, her character was a first generation immigrant from Sicily. And she would tell these stories, and she would begin them the same way. She would say, picture it, Sicily, 1931. A village girl has gone out to draw water from a well, or you know, whatever it is. I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you to do that with John chapter 17 and Jesus' prayer. Because I love Scripture. If you've come to Bible study, you know how much I love Scripture. I get excited. I will talk forever on Jesus, Scripture, and guitars. Pick one of those three topics and we will go. But one of the things that I've said is is that so often when it comes to Scripture, we go, "Ah," and we forget that Scripture was was divinely inspired of the Holy Spirit given to human beings, recorded by human beings. It is in the context of real life. Every single passage, every single page is in the context of real life. And here is real life. I've asked the Bible study to do this, and I'm going to ask y'all as well. Anytime in Sunday school, in private devotions, in a sermon, wherever, if you are beginning a passage and it says, after these things, or, or a few days later, go back and see what comes before it because it's making a reference. And right here, what we have is John 17 begins, after Jesus has spoken these words, what has Jesus spoken? Well, picture it. Jerusalem, 33 AD, give or take a few years. In a borrowed upper room, Jesus has gathered together with the 12 disciples, with some of the women and some of the other people to celebrate what we know as the Last Supper. The disciples have come in, they have taken their place at the table, and Jesus has gotten up and he has taken his outer cloak off and he's tied a towel around his waist and he has gotten down on his hands and knees and he has washed their feet. A task that was reserved for the least important person in a group. Peter has said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus has said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And Peter has said, then just don't wash my feet, Lord, then wash my hands and my head. And Jesus said, hey, if you've taken a bath, you're clean. It's just your feet that are dirty. My granny used to make me wash my feet before I climb into bed every night. And John tells us that when Jesus looks at Peter, he says, if you've already taken a bath, then you're clean, though not all of you are clean. Because Jesus washed Judas's feet too, knowing what Judas was going to do. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear that they've come together for the meal, and as a part of the meal, at the end, Jesus takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to his disciples, and said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. And takes the cup, lifts it, blesses it, gives it to the disciples and says, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant that's being poured out for you and for many all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Thereby gives to us the gift of what we know as the sacrament of Holy Communion. But this meal lasted somewhere around three to four hours. This is the Seder meal, the meal that begins the Passover celebration. John's gospel tells us what they talked about. If you go back to John chapter 13, here's the conversation around the table that night. And Jesus has told them very plainly, I've told you that the Son of Man must be handed over and condemned to death and crucified, and now that it's come that this is what's going to happen. And I know this doesn't make sense, but I want you to believe and I want you to hold on and I want you to know that I'm making you a promise that I'm not going to leave you like orphans in the world. I will ask the Father and he will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that will come in truth and in power. And I don't want you scattering off anywhere until you receive that gift from on high. And there's questions and there's doubts. And Jesus goes on to tell them, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, I will come myself to take you where I am so that where I am, you will be forever. And you already know the way to the place that I'm going. And Thomas, who gets called the doubter? Thomas is not the doubter. Thomas is the practical one. Thomas says, Lord, we don't even understand what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How in the world can we know the way? And Jesus says, because you know me. I've got it. You don't have to have it all figured out, and it doesn't have to all make sense. I'm asking you simply to believe in the Father and believe in me. He's told Judas what he's going to do. Go and do. They finish up the Seder meal. He's told them that he loves them. And he's invited them to go with him to the garden to pray. And now Jesus is in the garden on his hands and knees. And this is what he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Now, glorify your son. We know that Jesus was not exactly excited. That he was burdened in spirit. That he was so stressed that the capillaries in his forehead actually started to rupture. And sweat mixed with blood started to drop on the ground. We know that Jesus has asked the Father, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And now in this moment, when quite literally the weight of the sin of the entire world is being placed on his shoulders. John tells us that there's more that Jesus prayed. And he prays the Father to glorify him, and he prays that the Father would be glorified through him, and he prays that the disciples would understand. And he prays that they would be glorified. And he prays that they would hold on and they would believe 
And he reminds the father that out of all of those that you entrusted to me, I didn't lose one except for the one that was destined to be lost so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And then for me, at least for this morning, here is the big point. There's a whole bunch of stuff in Jesus's prayer that we can unpack, that we could start to unpack. We don't have time to unpack it all. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a whole bunch of stuff that points us to the Father and understanding of grace and calling and, under, and, and, and the promise of eternal life. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here that helps us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit and the eternal work of God and God's presence with us. But the point that jumps out at me that keeps me on the edge of being broke up every time I read John chapter 17 is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, we pictured this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is broken, can you imagine what it would be like if you knew exactly when you were going to die? And not only exactly when you were going to die, but how you were going to die. And if you knew that you were going to die because you were being betrayed by one of your best friends, and the way that you're going to die is one of the most horrific deaths in the history of humanity that human beings have ever devised to torture somebody else. You know all of that, and you're praying about that. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. Did you catch that? I'm praying for these whom you have given me and all of those who will believe because of their testimony. In this moment... Christ prays for us because I know, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but we are here in Bluff Park, Alabama on October the 23rd, 2022 because the word of the, of the Christ was entrusted to the disciples who became the first generation of apostles. We raised up the second generation of apostles. We raised up the third generation of apostles. And the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and whatever generation we're on now. To the good news of great joy has been handed down from generation to generation just as the son asked the father for it to be done. Christ prays for us. And it's not only here in this passage that we're told that Christ prays for us. Paul tells us that Christ prays for us. Peter tells us that Christ prays for us. Along with the, 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 the host of heaven, the, the saints of God and light who continue to cheer us on as we run the race that's marked out before us. And the Holy Spirit that continues to live, guide, and, and direct each of us. But a it overwhelms me to think that on the night that our Lord and Savior was betrayed, he stopped and he prayed. And he prayed for Matthew 
And he prayed for Thomas. And he prayed for Peter. And I'm sure he remembered Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And you're not going to tell me he did not pray for his mama. That he prayed for Judas. And that he prayed for you. And that he prayed for me. So guys, we promise that we're going to pray for one another. We promise that we're going to pray for the mission and ministries of our congregation. We promise that we're going to pray for God's Spirit to lead, guide, and direct us. We promise that we're going to pray for the forgiveness of our sins when we repent. We promise that we're going to pray for the needs of our community, the needs of our family, the needs of our world. And I don't know how all that works. I don't know if we talk God into stuff or if God already knows or God just likes to give us the opportunity to think that we're talking God into stuff, kind of like I do with Benjamin and Robin sometimes when they think they've got this really great idea and I just go along with it even though I already know what we're going to do. And maybe I don't have to know. Jesus prayed. Jesus taught us to pray. And Jesus prayed for us. Maybe that's the reason why prayer is in and of itself one of the means of grace. Because when we dare to pray, whether it be when we bow our heads and close our eyes and do it collectively in this beautiful sanctuary or whether it is before we close our eyes at night or whether it's while we're sitting in a car rider line somewhere. And you better not have your head bowed and your eyes closed if you're in that situation. Wherever it is, God hears us as a loving Father. That when we pray, we get to speak directly to the creator of heaven and earth the one that holds all things and the one that holds us. Maybe that's the reason why it's one of the vows that we make that we're going to pray for each other. You know, it's awfully hard to stay, stay angry with somebody after you earnestly pray for them. Have you ever found that out? Oh, I've been upset and I'm going to go pray. And you get up and you go, ah. Oh. So I don't know exactly how prayer works, but I know it does. And I know it's a powerful gift of grace. And I know one thing is certain, as I know I'm standing here. I know our Lord prays for us. And I know I get to pray through him. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m. and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.